Greetings, sisters and brothers in Christ of the Village Church and friends of the Village Church. It is the seventh week in Eastertide as we are continuing our Bible study series on Crisis, Christ, and You. These Bible study series that Pastor Jan and I have been teaching these past weeks leads into Pastor Jack's sermons on this theme of Crisis, Christ, and You as we look at the particular scripture text that Jack will be preaching on next Sunday, which is Pentecost Sunday. We'll be looking at Exodus chapter 18 and Acts chapter 2. And as we do so, we know that the spirit of the risen and ascended Christ is our teacher and is our leader, the one who leads us into all truth and wisdom. And I hope that you all and your loved ones have been encouraged and inspired and empowered in these challenging times. We three pastors miss you all, and we look forward to the day when we can have these Bible study sessions and our worship services in person. But in the meantime, we are consoled and comforted by the fact that we share our common faith, hope, and love through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, whose aid and whose assistance we need in studying Holy Scriptures. Will you join me in prayer? Most gracious and loving Father, we give you thanks and praise that even in these times we can gather together through the power of your Holy Spirit to look into your word. That gift of holy scriptures in which you have inspired prophets and prophetesses and apostles and messengers of old to share and to impart your self-revelation to us and indeed the world. Might your spirit, O Lord, encourage us and inspire us, lead us into all truth and wisdom, crown us with your love, reassure us, O Lord, that no matter what circumstance we're in, you are with us, your presence accompanies us, and your love embraces us. We pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our Teacher. Amen. For our scripture passages for this week, and again leading into uh, Pastor Jack's sermon on Pentecost Sunday, we look first at Exodus chapter 18, verses 13 through 24. Let us hear and receive God's word. The next day, Moses sat as judge for the people, while the people stood around him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone while all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make known to them the statutes and instructions of God. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What are you doing? What you are doing is not good. You will surely wear yourself out, both you and these people with you. For the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You should represent the people before God and you should bring their cases before God. Teach them the statutes and instructions and make known to them the way they are to go and the things they are to do. You should also look for able men among all the people, men who fear God, 
are trustworthy and hate dishonest gain, set such men over them as officers over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them sit as judges for the people at all times. Let them bring every important case to you, but decide every minor case themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people will go to their home in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. We then go to the New Testament, to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, 21 through 26, and then continuing with Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, let us hear and receive the word of the Lord. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 people and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us throughout the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Friends, this is the Word of God for the people of God, holy wisdom, holy words, and we all say, Thanks be to God. Well, this is the seventh week in our series of Christ, Crisis, Christ, and You. And as we saw in prior studies, the etymology of that word crisis is from the Greek word krisis, which means decision, which historically was that pivot point in one's disease where a decision or a judgment would be um, rendered whether that illness and therefore the one stricken would either become better or worse. And so both the attending physician and the patient would then decide how their health would be and what course of action, what course of treatment would be needed. In this series, this uh, Bible study and sermon series of Crisis, Christ and You, this global pandemic that has been raging throughout the world in our communities and our neighborhoods for these uh, last months is in so many ways a, a crisis, a pivot moment where the entire world and all of us, every household is 
having to decide certain courses of action. The particular thematic focus of this week, and as we look to Pentecost Sunday, next Sunday, the 31st of May, is this notion of what do we do when we are alone, whether we feel isolated and alone or whether we are in fact alone. One of the things that I put in your outline is is what's called a word cloud. And this is an exercise that anyone can do that you um, ask people to, a group of people, and the larger the better, and you ask them to free associate. You give them one word or, or one concept, and you have them respond. What's the first few words, maybe the top three to five words that, that comes to mind that's associated with that word? And then you, you plug it into a computer or into a, uh, into a there's some uh, specific websites that will uh, create this word cloud. And so for this word, alone, pause for a few seconds and what, what words, what, what concepts, what, what images come to mind when you think of the word alone? Now the word cloud that I put in your outline has some of these words associated with alone, such as desolate, solitary, secluded, companionless, lonesome, Forsaken, lone, rejected, hopeless, hermit, abandoned, private, unaided, withdrawn, sequestered, dreary, and so many others. What words do you associate with that word alone? Perhaps some of those words, perhaps some, I mean, those are more um, negative terms. Are there some positives? Maybe rest, quietness, freedom, all different sorts of of terms, all sorts of, of concepts, right? Depending on our circumstances, maybe depending on our mood, maybe depending on the time of day, the time of season. But particularly during this crisis time, this time, these unprecedented and challenging times of the COVID-19 coronavirus global pandemic, I'm sure that you've heard stories, maybe your own loved ones, uh, where people have gone to the hospital and they're not able to be visited by their loved ones. Um, Those in nursing homes are not able to be visited and they have to see their loved ones through the window or through some plexiglass. Um, some of you know that I lost my granduncle and granduncle in the Philippines. Um, my Papa Oscar and, and Mama Ding, uh, they, uh, they became sick. And it was first my Papa Oscar who had to go to the hospital. And none of the caregivers, none of our family members in the Philippines could, could see him because of the, uh, the quarantine uh, protocols of the hospital there. And... He um, sadly uh, died. Um, we don't know if it was COVID-related. Um, there were some heart complications as we understand it. And he died uh, by himself in that hospital. And then a few days later, his wife, my, my grand-aunt, um, went to that same hospital and she had to be dropped, up, uh, dropped off by their caregivers. And again, no, no family members were allowed to see her and she died shortly thereafter. There are many stories like that in this time, and that's the 
sad and, and tragic reality of our current circumstance. Um, perhaps uh, being alone and being solitary is, is something that uh, maybe some of you or, or some of your loved ones have, uh, have lived with um, as a calling in life maybe or just life circumstances um, that, that brought you to a place of either feeling alone or, or living alone. In, in um, whatever circumstance um, you find yourself and your loved ones, whether you feel alone or in fact alone, this Bible study um, this week and the sermon next week speaks powerfully and personally to all of us, um, to all of us, uh, because our faith has, has something to say about that, about um, the God who will not leave us alone and the God who is not alone in in himself. There are two quotes that I put in your outline, two, two thoughts, two quotes um, that, that capture this notion of being alone. One is by the late comedian Phyllis Diller. Remember her, Phyllis Diller? She's, she's reported to have said, quote, what's worse than being alone is being with someone who makes you feel alone. That's pretty sad. Or a second uh, quote whose, uh, whose author is unknown, quote, What's worse than being alone is feeling lonely when you are surrounded by people, when you're surrounded by people. Somehow these, uh, you know, these shelter-in-place directives and the, uh, the health directives to, uh, to be physically or socially distanced at least six feet apart and to wear uh, facial masks for, for the protection of our neighbor, for the protection of strangers, people in the grocery stores or in... Uh, in the post office, uh, somehow that it, you know, it makes us feel that we are separate, separated even more so one, one from another. Um, and how do, we, how do we live in these times, uh, uh, these times of, of distancing and when we are um, seeing how to be the Church of Jesus Christ nevertheless by, by virtual means, by technology, uh, even uh, even when that means that it's not uh, necessarily face-to-face and, and eye-to-eye, even, all, even though all of us learn, uh, yearn and long for uh, that day then, that all of us can come together again in the patio courtyard at the Village Church campus or to, uh, to worship side-by-side side in, our, in our beautiful sanctuary there in Rancho Santa Fe, uh, or to serve alongside one another uh, in, in mission and in ministry, to gather together in the, in the fellowship center uh, with, with our uh, you know, many events that we have, um, to have the kids uh, together in Kids Village and in, and in our preschool. The list goes on and on. Uh, and so these times have have magnified this notion of being isolated and alone. And so we look to our faith. We look to the wisdom and teachings of Jesus Christ and to Holy Scripture, to holy wisdom that has informed and shaped God's people in every time and in every place for generations, for for millennia. Our Judeo-Christian faith speaks so powerfully and personally and wisely about being covenant community, being covenant community, that we belong one to another, that God belongs to us, we belong to God, um, that we belong to each other, we belong to a global family, to a wider 
comprehensive family joined in our humanity created in the image of God. I put there in your outline that our, our uh, Judeo-Christian faith speaks to us about being covenant community or being covenant community in at least four dimensions. The first and primary dimension is the covenant community of God himself, the triune God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are community in themselves, one God in three persons. They are a triunity, a triune community. They are not alone. Even though they are each a person, they are one God, one God in three persons. The second dimension that Holy Scriptures speaks to us about covenant community is that this triune God, our triune God revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is in community with the world. That the triune God who is in perfect community, a loving community, creates and is in community with the world. The world which God created is the world with which and with whom the triune God engages with. That God desires to relate to the world. And it is to the world, to the creation, to the created order, that God reveals God's self and God desires to save and to redeem and to reconcile and to love. The third dimension is that believers, Jews and Gentiles, we are in community with the triune God. And so as the, the second dimension was the triune God is in relationship to us, our response, which is the third dimension, our response is that believers, Jews and Gentiles, are in relationship to the triune God. Our response is a worshipful response, is one of praise, is one of obedience, is one of love. God loves us, and because of God's love toward us and His desire to be in community with us, our response as God works in our hearts, is that we would respond likewise in loving that God to be in community with the triune God. Then the fourth dimension is that Jews and Gentiles and the wider humanity, we are in community with each other. We are in community one with another, people to people. We are to love neighbor, as is the calling from God, we are to relate one to another, to, to seek shalom, God's holistic peace, God's holistic justice, God's reconciliation for the created order in our relationships. We are to be in relationship one to another. And so the scripture speaks to us about this notion of covenant community. We are binded and bonded one to another as God intends in these four dimensions. Again, God in relationship to himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Number two, the triune God in, in relationship to us, to the created order. Number three, our response, that we are in relationship, in community with God. And fourth, 
we are in relationship one to another. Humans to humans, people to people. Humanity is created, we have been created to be in community with God and with one another. Our individual selves are to be lived out in view of the wider community. The 16th century English poet John Donne, whose years are 1572 to 1631, described it well in his famous poem, No Man is an Island. The poem goes, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. There John Donne speaks to us in a very powerful and poetic way that we don't exist in an island in in and of ourselves, that someone's death affects me, my death affects others. It is similar to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that when one part of the body suffers, all suffer. When one part rejoices, everyone rejoices. Or again, our sisters and brothers in South Africa have a term in Zulu called Ubuntu. And Ubuntu means humanity. Ubuntu understands humanity with this phrase, I am because we are. I am because we are. In short, that I understand who I am in relation to the wider community, whether that community is the church, whether it be our neighborhood, whether it be family, whether it be our workplace, whether it be our country, our culture, the global human community. And so we in the Judeo-Christian faith can nuance that Ubuntu, that phrase, slightly by saying, I am because we are, because God is. That in short, we understand ourselves more fully when we see ourselves in relation to the wider community. That ourself and the wider community are shaped and formed by God who in God's self is triune community and that we, under, we understand ourselves in connection with God and God with us and us with the wider community and the community with us. In a nutshell, this, this is artistically expressed in our own sanctuary rose window and I put that rose window uh, in your outlines. Remember those three interlocking circles there above the pipe organ in our beautiful sanctuary, that ancient symbol of the triketra, three interlocking circles that visibly express this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one community. 
those three interlocking circles that are within a, within a wider circle. And so we are in community one with another, even though we feel existentially and experientially aloneness, we are called to be in relationship with one another, which means then that that is a call to the wider community, that if in fact there are those who are feeling isolated and alone who are, or who are in fact alone, that is something then that the Spirit prods the community then to say, community, church, how can you reach out and extend your community to include and to embrace those who are feeling alone, those who are feeling isolated, those who are in need of companionship, those who are um, needing and yearning and longing that they belong, that they are part of that community so that, uh, so that those who are feeling isolated and alone or, or, or who are in fact alone are being ministered to and are receiving the love of the, of the community. We see this so powerfully demonstrated in our two texts today in the book of Exodus and in, and in the book of Acts. So let's turn our attention to the book of Exodus, chapter 18, verses 13 through 24. As we saw in the, in the prior weeks, the book of Exodus is, is believed to have been written by the exilic community uh, in Babylon. So around the 6th century BCE, uh, before the Common Era, or BC, before Christ. And the text is, or the story is further developed by the post-exilic community. So after, uh, after God's people, after the Israelites were restored back um, back to Judah and back to Israel by the Persian Empire in the 5th century BCE. And so the book of Exodus was a story that, uh, that really served as a way to offer encouragement to the Israelite community. That uh, even though the story of the Exodus, um, the story as narrated, um, its occurrence was, uh, was centuries prior, it served as a way to encourage the exilic community as they were away from their homeland. And so in the Israelites' own pivotal season in their community, in their life together, of wondering and waiting when they would, restored, when they would be restored back to their homeland, the Exodus served as a way to offer a promise that if the God who freed them, who liberated them from the bondage of Pharaoh, can free their ancestors, then this same God will see to it that the exilic community will be freed from their Babylonian, their Assyrian, their Persian captors. And that the same God who accompanied their ancestors through the desert wilderness for more than 40 years is the same God who will not leave them bereft, is the same God who will not forsake, is the same God who has not forgotten that even though that the Israelites are far away and they're wondering and waiting, God, have you forgotten us? God, have you forgotten your promises? Have you left us alone? The Exodus story was a pivotal story, a momentous event that was a way to encourage God's people to say, God accompanies us. Do not be discouraged. Even though that 
maybe individually or as a community or as a tribe or tribes, you may feel alone and isolated and forgotten. God accompanies us and God is with us. The Exodus season served as a formative counterpoint to all powers and principalities which seem to frustrate God's love for God's people. That in a time of um, those challenges that seem to convince God's people that somehow God's love is, is absent and that we have been left alone, the story of the Exodus, the event of the Exodus, was a way to say no, God is still with us, God accompanies us, and that even though the outward evidence might seem to contradict and contravene God's shalom for God's people, the Exodus was to say no, God is still with us, God accompanies us, God is, God is with us through and through. Our passage this week focuses on Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who counsels Moses to identify and commission certain God-fearing men of integrity to co-labor with Moses. Now, God is very concerned because all of these people that Moses is expected to, to, to adjudicate their case, to adjudicate their, their concerns, their, um, their arguments, their conflicts. God is concerned about the health of Moses and about the people. Uh, he's concerned that, and it says there in the text, that the people will grow weary. And Moses, you'll grow, you'll grow weary. You'll grow tired. I mean, imagine uh, standing in a, in, a, in a line. I mean, all of us know that, right? If you're standing in a line, um, whether it be at the DMV or whether it be um, in any governmental agency, in the, in, um, in, the, in the post office where you're wanting to, uh, you know, to, uh, to have customer service or um, if you're wanting to offer a complaint on the phone. Remember, all of, us are, uh, all of us have experienced that, to be on the phone with a customer service rep and we're having to go through that, that serpentine press one, uh, press three, um, press zero if you want to be connected to a customer service rep um, and you're on hold and you're listening to terrible music uh, in the background and you're waiting and waiting, 10 minutes becomes 30 minutes, becomes one hour, becomes three hours, whatever might be the case. So we know how that feels, right? To wait in a long queue, in a long line. Now imagine the people, um, the Israelite community, wanting to bring their concerns to be settled, and Moses is the only one to adjudicate it, is the only one to offer the customer service, if you will. Not that the Israelites were customers, but you get my point. And so God is, God is greatly concerned um, for, uh, for Moses' ability and capacity long-term. It's unsustainable. Um, it is not feasible for him to take care of all of the Israelites, and likewise, the Israelites will grow weary in waiting um, for their particular um, hearts and minds to, to be heard and to be understood. And so, um, so the Lord instructs Moses um, to carefully select uh, representatives from the Israelite community, um, God-fearing men, who are men of integrity, to share the burden to share in the labor with Moses so that those, um, those servants, those co-laborers can take care of the, of the minor disputes and then the major ones can be, brought, can be brought to Moses. And so there's this sharing of responsibility. God doesn't want anyone to feel alone. 
Because Moses might feel alone that, oh, I'm the one who's taking care of the, of the Israelites. And the Israelites themselves might feel alone, like, oh, we're not being understood, or oh, we're having to wait days, maybe weeks, maybe months um, for, our, uh, for our case to be heard. The sharing of labor here, God knows our hearts. God knows the human heart. Of course God knows our hearts, right? Because God created us. God knows our hearts. On the one hand, we as human beings can have a Messiah complex of thinking that the weight of the world is on our shoulder and I must save the community, that it all is up to me. At its worst, the Messiah complex sees oneself in, in grandiose terms. The community needs me. Or the world would be lost without me. Or my club or my society, my organization will be lost if I wasn't there. Okay, so on the one hand, on the one hand, God knows the heart of Moses. God knows our own hearts. When we don't share responsibilities, we can have the Messiah complex, thinking that the world is on, uh, rests on my shoulder. On the other hand, on the other hand, the sharing of labor guards against the opposite tendency of the Atlas complex. Remember Atlas, that mythological figure of carrying the, the globe, carrying the, the earth on, on his shoulder, and thinking that the weight of the shoulder of the world is on my shoulder, and therefore I'll wallow in self-pity. I'll wallow in self-pity because it's, it's, I'm carrying the weight, and no one understands my plight. I am in this alone. When self-pity gestates in the human heart and mind, one can become despondent, dejected, depressed, and bitter. Okay? In both instances, whether the Messiah complex, oh, it's up to me, it's up to me, the community and the world needs me, or the Atlas complex, oh, woe is me, woe is me, the world is, rests on my shoulders, no one understands me. So whether it's an inflated grandiosity or a wallowing self-pity, in both cases, there is no longer joy in serving the Lord. One is serving oneself, either feeding the ego or just in self-pity, being, being uh, dejected and, forget, and forgetting who God is and, and who we are and whose we are. So God calls upon Moses to bring the burdens to God Share the responsibility, Moses, with God and with others so that, Moses, you could endure and the people likewise can endure and return to their homes in peace. See, we have a wonderful God. Even though oftentimes when we feel like we're alone, there's actually a community that's out there. God, who's, who is community, as we saw um, uh, earlier, and the wider community that we belong to. Okay, and so God is addressing that part, that part in, the, uh, in our faith journey, in our life journey. And again, we see that in Acts. So let's go to the New Testament, to our text in Acts of the Apostles. Recall that the Acts of the Apostles is connected to the gospel according to Luke, right? And so when you read the book of Acts, have the gospel according to Luke side by side, and likewise, when you study the gospel according to Luke, keep in mind that the Acts of the Apostles was believed to have been written by the same community, by Luke and his same community, around the mid to late 1st century A.D. 
Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, or the Common Era. And both the Acts of the Apostles and the Gospel according to Luke chronicle for us the early church, the apostolic communities following Jesus' resurrection. Okay? The Gospel according to Luke and the Acts of the Apostles are concerned about what is the mission of God through the early church, as the early church was, was grappling with what it means to live out the teachings of our risen Lord in the first century. Um, as, as, the, as the disciples, uh, the apostles are being sent out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, out into the, out into the um, far reaches of the world, the uttermost parts of the world, um, the predominant themes of Luke and Acts are how are the early church communities living out the calling of Jesus Christ to be salt and light of the earth? How are they being communities marked by love before a world that is subject to the values of the Roman Empire? The values of the Roman Empire, the, the empire that cares about just about money and, and power and, and uh, vanquishing lands and people, how is it that the church, the community, the fellowship of believers uh, called by Jesus Christ to be salt and light of the earth, how are they to live out love, the love of God in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit? So our passage our passages today in Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2 recount the appointment and anointing of Matthias to be the 12th apostle. Because remember, Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of our Lord Jesus, had died. Uh, he's believed to have committed suicide. And, and so there had to be a 12th to complete, the, the, uh, to complete uh, that, that vacancy. And we read there that the, uh, that the two criteria um, for those who were eligible uh, to be uh, nominated, okay, so here's our nominating committee, if you will, the nominating committee of 11 apostles. Uh, in order to be eligible to be an apostle, uh, someone would, would have had to have been uh, physically uh, following Jesus in his earthly ministry, and number two, they would have had to have uh, personally witnessed the resurrected Christ. And only two individuals uh, met those eligibility requirements. Barsabas, called Justice, and Matthias. And uh, by the uh, leading and wisdom and discernment of the Holy Spirit, the apostles called Matthias to be that 12th apostle. Now, the disciples, and chief among them are, are the 12, or it was 11 after Judas Iscariot uh, uh, left them. Uh, the disciples, remember, a disciples means student, right? Student. So the disciples, students of Jesus, who's the rabbi, the teacher, the chief disciples then become apostles. Now, remember, the word apostles means those who are sent. The verb is, is apostoluo. That's the Greek word that means send. Apostoluo is to send. And so those who are sent are called apostles. To call the church apostolic 
as like in the third paragraph of the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, 5th century, uh, that we believe in the one holy Catholic apostolic church, it's to say that the church has been sent, that Jesus Christ through the Spirit sends the church. We as a church are sent out into the world to bear witness of the good news, to live out the good news. So those disciples, chief disciples, are then, their calling uh, becomes apostolic. They are sent. They are apostles sent out to preach the word. And so they're gathered in Acts chapter 2 on the, on the holy feast day of Pentecost. Now Pentecost is a feast going back um, to, the, uh, to the Old Testament. And Pentecost means uh, 50 or 50th, the 50 days after the Passover, also known as the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. Uh, it, it was celebrated seven weeks and one day. So there's the 50, seven weeks and one day after the Sabbath of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And then I invite you to uh, read further. I put the citations there in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 9, and, and Leviticus chapter 23, verse 16. And so the uh, Feast of the Pentecost was a time to bring the harvest, was a time to bring the harvest as an expression of thanksgiving to God, of what God has provided for our community, for our village, for, for our family. And so Pentecost, as the, as the believers are gathered there after the appointment of Matthias in Acts chapter 2, they're gathered at Pentecost, and a visible manifestation and expression of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. When, when Jesus the resurrected Christ makes his appearance to the, to the disciples. He then ascends. He returns. He rises back to heaven. And then the Holy Spirit's presence is made more apparent. Um, it's not that the Spirit was absent from them. It's that the Spirit's presence was made more manifest, was made more apparent. And the way that the Spirit um, is expressed even more is, according to the text, there were these, these images of, uh, of, of flames of fire that were appearing above uh, the disciples. And there were followers, the followers of God from, uh, from, uh, from many people groups and language groups speaking, uh, speaking different languages. And so even though that people were speaking different languages, they shared the common language of praising God. They shared the common language of loving God. And so, um, with, the uh, with the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem, remember when the exilic community returned back from Babylon, uh, 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 they were restored back to Judah and to Israel. They went back to Jerusalem. They built the second temple, which had been ransacked by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar, the second temple then was, uh, was built. And then it wasn't until 70 AD, 70, 70 AD, when the Roman armies ransacked Jerusalem and destroyed the second temple, the remnants of which are still in, uh, in, in Jerusalem, uh, in the Holy Land. It's called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, if you've been there. Um, it is a, uh, a sight to behold, a place that you can uh, 
write down your your prayers and and slip it in through through uh, through one of the uh, cracks or the uh, crevices there, and. Uh, with the destruction of the second temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, there therefore was an, uh, a believers could not bring their agricultural harvest to the temple. And so believers then had to bring their praises to God and to receive the reading of the law of Moses, the laws of Moses through the synagogue. And for Jewish and for Gentile Christians to receive the teachings of Jesus in house churches. Right? And so Pentecost and the evidence of the Holy Spirit leading in and through and among the early believers, uh, the believers were gathered in house churches uh, to listen and to receive God's word and to praise God uh, in, that, in that time. And so as the apostles then are sharing the word of God, empowered by the Spirit, uh, their attention now is to, is to preach and to proclaim the teachings of Jesus. And as we read in Acts chapter 6, I invite you to read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It says there that the disciples increased. The number of believers increased as the apostles were sharing the word. They were going out from town to town, community to community. The number of believers was increasing. And so the... Holy Spirit leads the apostles to appoint deacons, to appoint deacons so that the deacons can attend to the ministry of table fellowship and, and hospitality and compassion ministries towards the poor so that the apostles can focus their efforts on proclaiming and teaching the word of God. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? The Holy Spirit knows the needs of God's people. Uh, the Holy Spirit knew about uh, knew that it was time for the body of believers, the church, to become an apostolic ministry, to be sent out. At the right time, the Holy Spirit knew um, that it was time to also augment that with the uh, diaconal ministries, the calling of deacons. And so the Holy Spirit imparts the presence of Jesus Christ, who is physically absent from believers, but sacramentally present. Okay, so... Let me repeat that. In the time after Jesus ascends to heaven, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, imparts to us the presence of Jesus Christ sacramentally. Because Jesus Christ is physically absent, right? His physical body is not with us, but he is sacramentally present by virtue of the person and work of the Spirit who unites us to one another and to Christ. The Spirit assures believers of every age, you are not alone. And so, when we learn about any believer who is feeling alone or isolated or, or who is in fact alone, the Spirit will prod us and will prompt us as a community to reach out and to extend love, to extend compassion, to extend compassion so that no believer, no person will ever know that they're alone, but in fact, that they belong to the wider community, the wider community of the human family, the wider community of the uh, church community, the fellowship of believers, and the wider community of our common humanity. 
So might it be that as, as we reflect upon uh, these passages, these truths in Scripture this week, and listen to the sermon on Pentecost Sunday next Sunday, might we live that out? Might we live out the fact that we belong to a community one to another? Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. Most gracious and loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you extend your loving community to us and indeed to the whole world. Thank you, O Lord, for this time together that we can study your holy word in in virtual community. And that even though that we are separated physically one to another, we're grateful, O Lord, that we continue to be your church community that spans across time zones. Lord, continue to work in, through, and among us that we would share the love, the light, and the life of Jesus Christ with everyone that you meet, with everyone that we meet, and indeed to the whole world. We pray these things in the blessed name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.